From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lorman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shep, budget appropriations reporter. And this week, we are going to be talking about the nine bills that we have seen so far from the House Appropriations Committee. They have really gotten going pretty quickly on their markup process, not only releasing bills, but holding subcommittee markups, and they will start full committee markups later this week. And these bills are somewhat similar to the legislation that House Democrats released last year, but in many ways, there's a lot of new provisions in these bills that is going to very much impact debate during an election year. Yeah, this is a whirlwind now of after months of delay from the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, we are now in a whirlwind this week of a rash of bills that we have to digest all at once. This is coming hot and heavy. Um, And so, Jen, let's discuss a few of them because I think now that we have nine of the House bills out as of this morning and more are coming today, we're going to have all 12 by the end of today, um, we sort of see all of the the, uh, election year fights we're going to have on appropriations. Exactly. And these are some of the things that we have seen Democrats and Republicans in the Trump administration kind of spar over during that first term of Donald Trump's time in the Oval Office. You know, Democrats are not planning to provide any funding for border wall construction. They're also really limiting how money can be reprogrammed or moved from accounts like military construction to the border wall. But we're also seeing some new conversations this year surrounding the Hyde Amendment in labor HHS education, which is the amendment that prevents federal funding from going towards abortion services, with a few exceptions. And then in the Commerce Justice Science Spending Bill that was just released a few minutes ago, we are seeing a lot of changes to how federal funding will go to local and state law enforcement. Yeah, which gets at the whole police brutality uh, debate that's brewing now. We don't know how Republicans uh, are reacting to this specific proposal, we should say, but there's all kinds of about $400 million or more of money in in this new bill designed to reform how police do their jobs. And I don't know um, to what extent that's going to cause problems on a partisan basis. And then on all of these bills, beyond the regular funding, there there is now tens of billions of dollars in additional money that the Democrats want in there as emergency spending for pandemic-related relief, even though bipartisan talks haven't really started yet on the next round of coronavirus relief. uh, I think House Democrats are trying to make their mark by inserting into these annual bills even more relief. Uh, and, And we know that that has caused resistance from Republicans who say the pandemic should be handled separately. We're gonna be in talks with that. Let's not muck up the annual bills and delay those by getting into pandemic relief. So that's that's another friction point. Yeah, I think um, we, we kind of expected that House Democrats were going to add additional funding for healthcare and education and testing and tracing um, to their annual spending bills to try to address the COVID-19 pandemic. Democrats don't see this as an either-or situation. They very much believe that The House and Senate can negotiate a fifth COVID-19 aid package and also address some of the longer-term issues that CDC and NIH and public health officials 
want to focus on in terms of just pandemic preparations and response to outbreaks and really monitoring disease throughout the country. And so that is very much kind of a different philosophy that Democrats and Republicans for the most part have going right now. We also know Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell speaking on Monday back in his home state of Kentucky um, during a two-week Senate break. He said that, you know, legislative drafting on this fifth COVID-19 aid bill has started. He laid out some markers for Senate Republicans on that package, you know, that most of it's going to address liability insurance, liability issues, how to get people back into schools and universities, and then healthcare issues. He also left the door open for additional funding for state and local aid, which is obviously a huge priority for Democrats. But one thing that he said during one of his appearances in Kentucky that I think is really important is that he sort of expects this next fifth aid package that will likely pass Congress before the August recess begins. He thinks that's going to be the last COVID aid package. Um, And clearly, if Democrats are putting language in their annual spending bills, knowing the timeline of that, that these probably aren't going to get negotiated final bills conferenced out until much later this year, there's clearly some different philosophies on, you know, when and how Congress can stop responding to this pandemic with legislation there. And so we will expect these uh, pandemic relief talks to begin probably in the next week or two, would you say? I think that really depends. Uh, Leader McConnell speaking um, at a few stops at hospitals yesterday, he said that he expects this bill to be released in a few weeks and that after that, they're going to begin talks with the Trump administration and Democrats. So it really kind of sounds like Senate Republicans are going to draft their bill internally and then release legislative text and then begin bipartisan, bicameral negotiations. Republicans want a more tailored bill Uh, with probably less money in it than what Democrats, we know House Democrats in May passed a $3.5 trillion measure, and McConnell reacted poorly to that as as being way too much. So we know that there's going to be a real friction point here as to how much more aid is needed, how quickly. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of focus in the House and Senate and Trump administration to get another bill negotiated before both chambers break for the August recess. Coronavirus cases, as we all know, are spiking in several states, um, and certain governors in states like Texas have, you know, reissued stay-at-home orders, and there's a really big emphasis on trying to get people to wear masks and continue socially distancing. So I do think there's, you know, emphasis from both political parties to try to get to a solution. And we are facing an economic cliff here of sorts at the end of this month because the, the expanded unemployment benefits run out. So there will be pressure to replace that either by extending that or replace it with something. So that gives them a deadline beyond just breaking for the August recess that we should expect to see a package emerge. But let's get back to the annual bills that the House folks are doing because there's a lot there to chew on. And of course, the Homeland Security bill just advanced through subcommittee this morning, I believe. Uh, We're back to the immigration battles. Uh, Remember, President Trump is requesting $2 billion in the coming year for his border wall, and Democrats said, no, not a dime. And so that bill is a huge partisan fight, but we also don't think it's going to reach the House floor, right? Right. I was speaking um, with Homeland Security um, Subcommittee Chairwoman Lucille Robel-Arlard last week. She said that there continues to be some issues in that bill where Democrats likely won't bring it to the floor this year. 
this is obviously a very democratically favorable bill, but there are still a lot of concerns among progressives in the House about the level of funding for Customs and Border Protection, the level of funding for Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And even though House Democrats' Homeland Security bill would not give any money um, to the border wall, really strictly limit reprogramming authority and say that ICE cannot remove people based on information from the Office of Refugee Resettlement that someone may fill out when they accept an unaccompanied child. All of those provisions are, you know, really core democratic priorities, but they don't do as much as progressives want. So we're looking at a situation where the Homeland Security Bill might not go to the House floor this year. Okay, but most of the other bills will, and we've got plenty of fights in those too. Yes, there is a possible situation, though, that labor HHS and education might have to be held back from the floor, given a statement that we saw from Congresswoman Presley, Democrat of Massachusetts, yesterday. Uh, She released a statement that she is very frustrated that House Democrats chose to leave the Hyde Amendment, that amendment that prevents federal funding from going to abortion services in most instances in that bill. That has been something that progressive Democrats and more left-leaning Democrats have really been pushing to remove for a while. If Labor HHS and Education Subcommittee Chairwoman um, Rosa DeLauro left that in, I'm guessing it's because House Democrats knew they wouldn't have the votes they needed to remove it. Um, But if progressives really start to gather around this issue and if they would withhold votes from the Labor HHS education bill and potentially whatever, you know, small package that might be in, because we're sort of expecting these to be debated in groups of bills and then instead of individually on the House floor, if a lot of progressives hold their votes back from that legislation, if Democratic leaders can't make sure that they support that package, there could be an issue there as well. So that's a big hot potato for the Labor HHS bill that could gum up the works there. You're right. And then some of these other bills have fights too. We have the agriculture bill that would block administration rules that are designed to limit access to food stamps. So that'll trigger a big food stamp fight. How much needs to be restricted there after they expanded it for the pandemic? You've got this state foreign operations bill where there's another battle because they want money for the World Health Organization. And Trump has said he's considering freezing World Health Organization money because he's mad at how they handled the pandemic. There's about $10 billion in that bill for emergency funding for the pandemic, for international spending. That could cause a fight. Yeah, that legislation also takes a bit of a a shot at Secretary of State Pompeo, um, saying that he can't travel between the submission of the fiscal 22 budget request and when he agrees for a date to appear before the House Appropriations Committee. And that provision um, really kind of gets to the core of Democratic frustration with when and how Trump administration officials have been willing to testify before Congress, particularly on these classic oversight hearings that appropriators hold on, you know, how are you spending this money that they approved the previous year? Why do you want increases in the upcoming fiscal year? So we're seeing some provisions like that through the bills as well, where Democrats are clearly signaling to the Trump administration that they find their stance and their unwillingness to testify in some circumstances as so disrespectful that they're going to put legislative language in there. That shows some real partisan frustrations. With It, it speaks to the relations between the administration and the Democrats in Congress, how afraid it is, uh, you know, it, when you have to do something like that, it means that it means that they've really um, had it with with the White House. 
And then, of course, the energy water bill has come out, and there's another battle there because the Democrats want to block the administration from resuming uh, nuclear weapons tests. Yeah, this is a really fascinating provision that I'm very curious to see if we get to see bills from the Senate Appropriations Committee, what their energy water bill will do with this issue. I was speaking with subcommittee chairwoman Marcy Kaptur last week, and we were chatting about this. And there are a lot of concerns, not just among Democrats, but among Republicans about what would happen if the United States begins to sort of live test nuclear weapons again, and whether or not that would officially violate some international treaties that we've signed on to, and then how that could potentially lead other countries with nuclear stockpiles to begin testing their weapons as well, possibly leading to some type of nuclear arms race. Uh, So there's a lot of concerns about the Trump administration possibly wanting to resume nuclear testing. And so that's going to be, I personally believe, one of the core issues that we see throughout the appropriations process. Yeah, that's a big battle. And I should say, even the tiny legislative branch spending bill, usually not very controversial, it just funds the operations of Congress, that could get some attention too this year because they put language in there ordering the removal from the Capitol of all statues of Confederates and anyone with records of racial intolerance, I think is the wording, you know, that gets to the whole issue of, of, of racism and the protests and, and then Trump pushing back and saying that protesters are trying to erase our history by removing statues. So you've even got a battle on the tiniest of the, of the annual spending bills. Yeah, legislative branch does have the smallest allocation of all dozen annual funding bills, but I do think it's one of the bills that I personally really like to monitor. It's how Congress sort of funds themselves and sort of how they potentially will hold themselves accountable, especially this year when the country is going through this sort of moment of reckoning with the legacy that it has with systemic racism and slavery and police brutality. And so I think it's interesting that Democrats not only put in that provision to remove Confederate statues or people with unambiguous records of racial intolerance, they're also giving United States Capitol Police flat funding. They're not giving that police force the increase in funding that they requested, which is really interesting given the sort of lack of transparency that United States Capitol Police have. And then finally, I think, Jen, we should discuss the bill you covered yesterday, the Military Construction VA bill, because there's several fights in there. Yeah, I think the Military Construction VA bill is sort of really fascinating right now. This used to be one of the uh, least contentious bills. It would be, you know, one of the first bills to the floor. Everyone really loved this bill. Um, And during the Trump administration, it's become hugely problematic, not only for Democrats, but for Republicans after the Trump administration chose to pull money from various military construction accounts, um, projects within the country and overseas, and to divert that to the border wall. Um, Democrats put language in this bill for the second year in a row that would prevent that reprogramming of MILCON money for the border wall. Um, They also put provisions in there that no money could go to military construction projects on bases or military installations that are named for Confederate officers. And when the subcommittee held their markup Monday night, 
uh, ranking member Carter of Texas, he represents a district that includes Fort Hood, and Fort Hood is obviously named for a Confederate officer. And he was very frustrated with that provision. He said something along the lines of, it's not the, you know, we're going to be punishing the military members on this base for the name on the front gate, and that's not right. And so he has taken exception to this full committee ranking member, Kate Granger, another Texas Republican, also seemed pretty frustrated with that provision. Um, So that's going to be something that's going to be really interesting to watch in the coming months when House Democrats and Senate Republicans and the Trump administration potentially sit down to start really negotiating out all these bills. Um, Because obviously, as you were saying, Trump has really grabbed on to Confederate statues and Confederate imagery as something he seems to want to stick around, um, which is, is fascinating in and of itself. So plenty of fights here among the House appropriators. And meanwhile, on the Senate side, nothing's happening, right? Yes, we are still at a standstill in the Senate. Senate Appropriations Chairman Richard Shelby, Republican of Alabama, is still talking with ranking member Pat Leahy, a Democrat of Vermont, about how they could potentially move forward marking up bills. Uh, But there's still a lot of issues over there about amendments that Democrats want to offer that they feel are germane to these funding bills because they deal with how the government spends its money, um, particularly on additional COVID-19 aid, as well as policing issues. So that standstill continues. I was speaking with uh, ranking member Leahy before the Senate left town last Thursday for its two-week break, and he was saying he thinks that once a fifth COVID-19 aid package is negotiated, um, that they might be able to move forward with an agreement on amendments and markups, but that's not a guarantee. There's still a lot of other issues kind of down the list that have to get worked out. Um, But in terms of timing in the Senate, Last year, they did mark up their bills in September, so that's still an option if they would want to do that. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week.